Our guest today on Vital Voices is George W.B. Scott of Knoxville, Tennessee. He's the author of a new historical novel, The Good King, about the life and death of King Wenceslas, who lived and ruled during the 10th century in Bohemia. George, thank you for joining us today for Vital Voices. Well, Fred, it's great to be here. Thank you for asking. Before we talk about the new book in some detail, I'm really interested in what you have to say about the challenges and the rewards of writing historical novels. As a writer of historical novels, I love doing the research to find out things about people or places or events that I've never known before. And I try to put my excitement to do this in the books. And this was really the case with this book, The Good King, as it was with my earlier novel. That earlier novel, by the way, is set in a totally different time period around the Civil War and in a totally different place around Charleston, South Carolina. Yeah, uh, it was in a different millennium, actually. Um, The 1860s in America is very different from the 10th century in Prague. The Good King is set in what is now the Czech Republic, Bohemia. Prague is the capital city where most of the action takes place. What intrigues you about that part of the world? And I'm wondering if you traveled to what is now the Czech Republic in order to do some research for the, the writing of this historical novel. I've not been to, to the Czech Republic yet. Um, the little research uh, I had before I started the research of this novel was... Um, Basically, general uh, medieval. I, I read uh, A Distant Mirror by Barbara Tuchman. I don't know, mm-hmm. know if that worked. Yes. Uh, uh, but uh, the, I heard this, this Christmas carol as a child, about eight years old. I was living in a tropical environment in Florida, and the thought of snow deep and crisp and even has just grabbed a hold of me and never left me since. <laughs> so after I finished... After I finished the uh, Civil War book, I, Jonathan, I thought I'd go ahead and and do this and get this off my back. (laughs) So I started to research it, and I found great stories there. Um, There's not much in the Christmas Carol that gives you a hint of the intrigue and the uh, conditions that happen uh, in the 10th century in Prague. The cover of the book, I think, correlates with the very well-known Christmas Carol, Good King Wenceslas. Describe what is taking place in that scene on the book cover of The Good King. Good King Wenceslas, whose real name was Wacklaus, Wenceslas is a Latinization of Wacklaus. Mm-hmm. He and his uh, page were delivering some Christian charity to a poor countryman, and they went through deep snow. And in the snow, um, the page was so cold, he was worried about his master, and Wenceslas said, just step in my footprints and and you'll be warmed. And so there was a sort of a minor miracle that happened there. I actually do cover that that little element of the story in the book. This is one of many, many good works that Wenceslas did throughout his life. Um, This book also, the cover of the book also shows traces of blood to give you a hint that there's, it's not not all happy Christmas story. There's also some, some drama here. Describe the point of view of the novel. Who is actually telling this story to the reader? Vaklov 
had a younger brother. His name was Boleslav. He became later known as Boleslav I or Boleslav the Cruel. And he was tortured by a great sin he committed. He has become a Christian and is appealing to his own son, who is being trained for the clergy. The son's about 12 years old and on his way to Regensburg, where there was a big Christian church center, and there still is a big university there. And he's bearing his soul to his son. This is my horrible sin. Let me find salvation through your religion. A strong element of the book is mankind's need for spirituality and how at this time in history, Christianity was in contest. Catholicism was in contest with Eastern Christianity and all of Christianity was in contest with the existing traditional pagan religions. Yes. Uh, so um, there's a conflict and struggle between these three elements to, uh, to determine who's going to win and, and, and how, uh, how it can best benefit the people. There's also a big element of political influence that comes with the, the Roman Catholic Church or with the Eastern Orthodox, for that matter. In the end, despite all the violence and bloodshed that do take place in this book, how is it a hopeful story? It's hopeful on a few different levels, I think. Firstly, uh, the, the line of Wenceslas and Boleslav later became great outside of the Czech, uh, uh, outside of Bohemia. And they actually became ancestors of emperors of the Holy Roman Empire. But also, there's elements of strong personalities that want to draw the worst out of people into basically worship of leaders of the pagan faith. And that also can happen with the Christian leaders, though we, we see the good Christian leaders here. Also, Christianity's, one of its strengths is that it's written down. And the pagan religion was basically word of mouth, uh, oral tradition, and just didn't have the strength. Plus, um, it was more of a personality-driven religion. Some, some Christianity is like that today, but also you have the basic words of Jesus you can go back to and uh, the Old Testament. Let's go back to the, the research and the writing of this book. There's a lot of detail in here about plants that were grown and harvested at the time, a whole lot of detail on the making of iron and steel. How did you go about learning that? I, I sort of I was doing some research with uh, modern academic papers, and I came across how uh, Prague was a slave trading center, but it was also an iron trading center. They had a very advanced for that time uh, iron smelting area industry. So they had to prepare charcoal for that, and they had to have a, a way to harvest iron ore for that and then prepare the iron ore. And I was just kind of fascinated. I'd never realized how difficult iron is to is to produce. It's much easier to produce tin or lead or, or even gold if you can find it. But iron requires a much, much hotter flame. And I, I just got into that a little bit. I, I did some research online and I looked up some some videos of people that are actually recreating this ancient technique today. And uh, it was it was very important. Prague had an advantage by being on these this crossroads that went all the way to you know China and India and the other way to Spain and north to the great to the uh, North Sea and south to Italy and then Africa. So they could trade their iron 
and their furs. That was also a big one. And uh, in exchange, they got back new plants and new uh, techniques of agriculture. Uh, Wenceslas's grandmother, Ludmilla, who's a saint in her own right, brought viticulture to the Czech area. Mm -hmm. And now, of course, it's uh, just endemic part of their culture there. So, yeah, there were there were a lot of new ideas being exchanged. And that was part of it, too. It was a great, like, leavening of a culture. If we would go to Prague today, what evidence of the life of Wenceslas would we find? Wenceslas founded churches that still exist today. And, of course, Wenceslas Square is the most famous site for visitors to the Czech Republic. Uh, Castle Boleslav, Rod Boleslav, is uh, the ancient castle home of his younger brother who became duke after him and it's still an important center also when we speak of wenceslas we're speaking of a person who probably did not make it into his 30s correct he died at 28 as best we can tell there's very sketchy history of this time period mostly this history is is written by clerics and it's often written in a way that is meant to impress the audience some of whom had ancestors living at the period, so there was a lot of embellishment. The song, Good King Wenceslas, does mention a, a page, and you spend a good deal of time in the book describing that actual person. Hodavon, yeah. Uh, there's very little information about him, and just like there's very little information about Wenceslas himself, Vaclav. But I made him into... Uh, I developed the story of him being a slave. There was a, a big slave center in Prague at the time. Different tribes and nations would raid each other, and they would basically kill all the men, take all the women and sell and boys, and sell them into slavery. Many of these slaves, by the way, that's the word slave is derived from the same root word as Slav. Mm -hmm. Many of these slaves uh, became were bought by uh, the Moors that controlled Spain at the time, and also the the Islamic cultures of North Africa and Iraq. Talk about the reaction you've gotten from this novel so far. I asked a couple of people to, to read it for uh, veracity, and one of them was, uh, his name is Peter Kubin, and he is the uh, professor of ecclesiastical history in Charles University in Prague, and he's probably the world's foremost expert on Vaclav and uh, on Ludmilla as well. So he was, a, he was a really good one to find, and he liked it. He wrote me up a nice review about it. Good. Other people have read it and uh, looked at it more of a, from the story point of view, and I've been very gratified that people think it's a good story and uh, have, have praised it. And I, I'm... Um, I hope everybody loves it. <laughs> and I would think this would be much more difficult than a typical novel because of all the fact-checking that you had to do. The thing about this one is you can check as much as you want. There's only so much history there. You, you actually have to uh, learn what you can and then go through archaeology papers and other academic papers and learn what uh, what's not there and try to work it into a story where it all could, can make sense. One element that surprised me in this was that the Czechs almost lost their culture and their language. 
they were conquered. They were in the Austrian Empire for centuries, and they became more and more Germanic-speaking until finally one day they woke up and said, you know, we are going to lose our culture if we don't do something. So there became this great renaissance in the early 19th century mm-hmm. of Czech culture. The, the, one of the major works of literature from the early period was a poem called May. And I incorporate much of the story of that poem in one of the chapters of the book. Do you have a favorite passage that you might read to us today? The one I'm going to read is, it happens right after uh, Wenceslas was coronated. The story is told by Vaclav's brother. In the weeks following his coronation, my brother became a very active duke, beloved by most, but not everyone. It is not always clear when things are going well. Duke Vaclav was as good or better than his promise. He traveled all over the lands of his control, often accompanied by his servant, Podovan. He walked humbly in bare feet, wearing a simple hood over a hair shirt, in penance for sins he felt within himself. And to his eyes, he did commit a few, though many commit worse without regrets. Rakloff recognized he had impure thoughts. Sometimes he was burdened by rule and by his inability to cleanse all the land of sin. He would despair and sometimes drink meat or wine to where he did not clearly clearly follow Christian law. The next morning, he would be regretful and spend hours in prayer for forgiveness, seeking to make amends for his transgressions. It may be his humanity, his repentance for common human faults that all of us have, which made him so beloved by the people. Several times he talked with me and he would open his heart. I was his brother, and though we had not grown up together since I was very young, I was his closest living relative, except for our sisters who had already been married away to distant lands. George, congratulations on the publication of The Good King, and thanks for joining us on Vital Voices. Thank you, Fred. It's been a real honor to be here. It's been a pleasure. The book is The Good King by George W.B. Scott of Knoxville, Tennessee. For Vital Voices, I'm Fred Sossman. Thank you.